We're going to be mostly in Luke 5, but we're going to be finishing up Luke 4. So we're going to be starting in Luke 4. Continuing our study here through the book of Luke. A few weeks ago, we did uh, Jesus in the wilderness right after he got baptized, which showed the beginning of his public ministry. And then last week, we did the teaching of verses 31 through 41 of Jesus' ministry of healing and his ministry of casting out the unclean spirits. And what you have here today is his continued ministry, and he's going to start calling his disciples. And start calling disciples here. So we're going to pick this up here in verse 42. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to get to about verse 16 of Luke chapter 5. And let's just uh, go ahead and pray and jump right into this. Heavenly Father, good to be here today and just uh, what a blessing it is. I just want to pray here with the holiday weekend for all those out traveling. Just keep them safe and bring them back safe. We miss them, Lord. And just pray for those that are here today. Would you bless this time just through the Spirit that we learn of you, grow in you, and just go deeper in you in your name. Amen. Righty, Luke chapter 4, verse 42. It says, Now when it was a day, he departed and went to a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. He was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now this passage really hit me. Did you catch this in verse 42? He departed went to a deserted place. And guess what the people did? Sought him out. They wanted a piece of Jesus. They wanted to be around him. This is something you see continually through the Gospels, is this idea of Christ going and trying to find a deserted place to be alone with God the Father, but then people following him. In fact, in the book of Mark, it comes right out and says, the disciples said, we were looking for you. Where were you? Almost aghast that a Jesus would go and spend some time alone with God the Father. And it kind of continues on. Verse 5, it says, the multitude was pressing around him. And so also you see here in verse 15 of Luke 5, great multitudes came together to hear him. So what do we have? People are seeking him, demanding his attention, pressing him, great multitudes following him. You know what the earthly response to that would be? Be overwhelmed. Now just stop and ask yourself, do you get overwhelmed about things here? We all do. A lot of times when people call up and they're overwhelmed about a situation, generally they just need to vent for about 15 minutes and they feel a lot better. And one of the things I usually say is, you know what, if it was just one thing or two things, you'd probably be okay. But when it becomes three, four, five, six, seven things, we have a tendency to feel overwhelmed. So what is the answer to this when we feel like the multitudes want us, we're pressed in here, we're trying to get away, and we can't? Well, the answer is found in verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. See, I cannot stress this to you enough, and I know all of you already know this point, but don't let it go over your heads. There is something vital about that time you spend with God in the morning to prepare you for the rest of the day. It is vital. I don't care how busy your work schedule is, how busy your ministry schedule is. I don't care how many kids you have. I don't care what the demands of your day is. You can spend some time with God before your day starts. That is a vitalness to your life. Jesus set the example for us in that. Because that time with God in the morning prepares us and prepares us for things that we don't even know are coming. I mean, you may have an idea of what your day is going to be, but you don't know everything that's going to come. That's the one thing I've learned and realized. I need to spend that time with the Lord in prayer because I don't know what that phone call is going to be. I don't know what that situation is. And I need to pray for wisdom even before I need wisdom. I need to pray for a heart of service even before I know what I'm going to serve and who I'm going to serve. We need that time to prepare ourselves in prayer, to be refreshed, to be regrouped, and to be ready. It's kind of fascinating if you go back to Joshua. Joshua, who inherited the leadership from Moses, Joshua was in charge of millions of people, millions of people. And the command given to Joshua was, do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. God said, spend time with me. Spend time with my word. That's the best leadership advice I can give you, he said. Jesus set the example of withdrawing by himself into the wilderness and praying. I know for me personally, 
if I do not have time with God before my kids wake up, before dawn wakes up, just simply put, my day does not go as good. If I get time alone with the Lord in prayer and in his word before the kids wake up, before dawn wakes up, my day just goes better. Am I oversimplifying it? Maybe. But I tell you, it sure seems to work. That time I spend with the Lord in the morning prepares me for the things that are coming for the rest of the day that I have no idea about. No idea. So I get up and I read some devotionals. And I know whatever I read in that devotional, I know how it works. God's going to use that devotional either to bless somebody else or to bless me. I'll give you a quick example. It wasn't that long ago. I got up and read a devotional. And the devotional was about Philippians. And it was the passage in the Philippians about esteeming others better than yourself. And the whole devotional went on to say about how there's people in your life that you don't really see the value in. There's people in your life that you really don't think bring a lot to your relationships with them. Maybe it's a one-sided relationship. You're constantly giving and they're constantly taking. And it's really easy to get bitter and upset about that. This devotional said, wait a second. Every person that God brings into your life, there's a value in them. And look for the blessing that is in them. Now, I read that devotional in the morning. And I knew exactly what was going to happen. God was going to bring somebody like that into my life. Now, this devotional happened to be on a Sunday morning. So I knew that when I got to church, I was going to run in to that personality. Got to church, and as soon as I got to church, I saw who the person was. Now, I'm not saying that I knew who was going to be that person, but as soon as I saw the person, I thought, that's the one. That's the one that's going to suck me dry. I just know it. So I'm going to go over. Just as my devotional says, and I will esteem them, I will value them, I will be with them. I went over and I tried and I failed miserably. Failed miserably. Went home after church, dejected, discouraged, and a failure. I said, okay, Lord, I, I saw it, I read it. You were preparing me for the day. I knew you were. That's the purpose of that time of prayer. That was that purpose of that time being in the Word. Give me another shot. Went to church on Wednesday. And it just happened that this person happened to be at church on Wednesday as well, too. I said, okay, Lord, take two. Went over to that person, had a nice long chat with them, and tried to put in practice what I read and tried to put in practice what I taught. The reason I bring this up is why. That time in the morning, God said, you really want to be like me? Oh, Lord, I do. Okay, and you're weak in this area. And since you're weak in this area, I'm using my word, this time of prayer, to have you be more like Christ. And that's exactly what we need to do. The purpose of being with the Lord in the morning is to prepare us to be more like him through the rest of the day. Wisdom on how to handle situations. Wisdom on how to serve, to refresh us, to regroup us, to, to get us prepared for the day. That's the purpose of prayer and time alone with him in the morning. So you've got to remember with prayer, and this is the thing, we say this out here all the time. Prayer does not necessarily change the situation. Sometimes it just changes the way you look at the situation. People get really frustrated about this. They'll come in, they're bothered by something. I say, have you prayed about it? And they say, yeah, I prayed about it. Nothing changed. Well, maybe nothing is going to change. Maybe God's just saying, I, I need you to change in the way you handle it. That's what I've noticed a lot in my life. I ask for the Lord to change situations. And God says, no, I'm going to use this thorn in your side to have you be a better picture of me. I don't like that response. I don't think it's a fun response, but it's an honest response. And so now when I pray, I'm not so much praying for the situation to be changed. Lord, help me to handle the situation. Prayer is tough. You realize how difficult prayer is. Prayer is so difficult that, in fact, the disciples had to come to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray. It was something that was not natural to them, this idea of prayer. And I still see this today. Prayer is not necessarily a natural thing. The real definition of prayer. As you know, I like to say out here, we have Santa Claus prayer down great. Lord, I want this and this and this and this and this. Thank you, amen. We're all good at Santa Claus prayers. Just give me what I want. But honest to goodness prayer. Prayer that is as much talking to God as it is listening to God. Boy, we struggle with that. It's a lot of work. It takes up time. My time is limited. I'm so busy. 
You know, I'm a pastor. I got a church to take care of. I got five kids. I got a wife. I got, I, I just, time with God is just something that's really difficult. But what a horrible excuse. I'm not saying that to pick on you. I'm saying that to pick on me. Jesus set the example of time alone with the Lord. And I will tell you this, you will never regret the time you spend with the Lord in prayer. Never. You will walk out of that feeling refreshed. You will feel encouraged. You'll be blessed. You'll have wisdom. You'll have guidance. And when you see it all click, I, I tell you, there was a devotional not too long ago I read in the morning, and it was a nice devotional. It, it, it was a blessing. It wasn't life-changing. But you know what? I ran into three people that day that I shared that exact same passage with, and I shared that exact same devotional with. At that time, the devotional wasn't for me. It was for somebody else. And I reach a point in the morning, not legalistically, not in the sense of I have to, but if I feel my day slipping away and it's like, oh, I can read later. No, I want to read now. Because I don't know what I'm going to read that's going to prepare me or impact me for what's going to be happening maybe within the next five minutes at that next phone call. And I don't know how many times I've said to people, but you know what, I just read something this morning. Let me share this with you. Or I'll say to somebody, you know what, I just, just saw this the other day. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying when you're blessed by spending time with the Lord, it ends up blessing somebody else. And that time of prayer incorporate so much with it. It's not just you telling God or asking God. It's also a time of praise. It's a time of confession. It's a time of spending time with the Lord saying, God, I want to be more like you. I'm weak in this area. Help me. Or Lord, I just want to praise you. What a blessed day you gave me. What a beautiful morning it is. I, I, or if you just can't think of anything to be thankful for, Lord, I want to praise you for salvation. I want to praise you for your spirit living inside of me. Praise you for your word. There's always things to give God honor, praise, and thanks for. Now, why don't we do it more often? We get frustrated. All of us here have had a situation where we prayed for some type of divine answer, some divine healing, some divine response, and it was met with silence. And we get frustrated. So let's talk about this. Why don't we pray? Why don't we follow the example that Christ set? First thing, maybe your prayer didn't work out. Let's just be honest. Did you ask? That's a simple one. Do you realize how many times we struggle with something and we never ask for help? wisdom or guidance. It says in the book of James, you do not have because you did not ask. Let's ask first. My oldest son, Elias, is a very unique personality. It's not uncommon for the older four, I'll go into the kitchen and I'll get something to eat. I don't know why it is, but as soon as I walk into the kitchen, it's just a trail of ants behind me, all wanting something to eat. So I go in and I get something out of the cupboard. So Layden and Kenan, three and four, Numbers three and four, there are the kids. They don't have a problem asking, Dad, can we have something to eat? Sure. So I'm eating something. They're eating what I'm eating. Kenan's eating what I'm eating. Judah usually comes in, who's our second son, and he says, can I have something to eat? Yeah, he gets something to eat too. Lias comes in. So Lias sees me eating. He sees Kenan eating. He sees Layden eating. He sees Judah eating. And he wants to eat what we're eating. But for some reason, he will not ask. I believe he has pride, just like his mother. He will not ask. <laughs> he sees us eating. He'll come in and circle around us. What are you guys doing? We're just eating. We're having a snack. He'll leave. He'll come back in. What are you guys doing? I know what he wants. He wants what we have. He won't ask. Now, you may say, well, James, why don't you just offer it? Sometimes I do. Just like sometimes the Lord just steps divinely into your life, and you didn't even ask, and he says, I'm just going to pull you out of this one, okay? Just because I love you, and I'm just going to help out, even though you may not have even asked for help. Sometimes I just want to be a pain, and I want him to ask. And he doesn't. He needs to learn to ask respectfully, may I have some? I mean, he, he needs to learn on that. And I think the same thing happens spiritually. It's not that God doesn't care. It's not that God doesn't want to step into your life and move mightily. Sometimes we don't humble ourselves and ask. I, I have said this to people. Have you prayed about it? Well, not, not really. I, I think I can do I can take care of this. I can handle it. Oh, that's just pride. Well, no, it's not pride. I know God can move. And, but why aren't you asking him? I will. I will. Just, just, just let, let me try it here for a little bit. No. 
Hit your knees right now and ask. Okay, I hit my knees and asked. God still didn't answer. Well, let's go to step two. What are your motives? It says in the book of James 4, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know how many times I've prayed for things and my prayer was not to further the kingdom of God, nor to see souls saved, nor to glorify Jesus. The prayer was to glorify James. The prayer was to see James magnified. The prayer was to see the kingdom of James growing. God says, I think I can let that prayer request go. And you know what happens when our motives aren't right? God in his infinite love and wisdom says no. And you know what we do when he says no? We throw a hissy fit like a two-year-old. A lot of times when God says no, it's because it's for your best. You have to trust that. Last, next one I should say. This is one we don't like to talk about too much. Maybe part of the reason why God and you aren't clicking in prayer Maybe there's some unconfessed sin in your life. It's not that God is necessarily ignoring you, but Scripture makes it clear that if there's unconfessed sin between you and God, when you go to him and say, hey, by the way, can I have this? Or Lord, can you bless this? Can you do this? He says, you know what? I'll talk about that with you in a second. But we got a sin problem we got to deal with first. It's not that he's ignoring you. He says, let's deal with the primary importance here first. And the primary importance is the sin issue. This unconfessed sin that's causing a break in our relationship, let's deal with this first, and then we'll come and we'll talk about that issue. And the last one is, do you believe he can do it? Do you have faith? I mean, how many times have we prayed the most lackluster faith prayer ever? Lord, I know you can move mountains, and I just pray you'd move in my life. Thank you. Amen. I mean, come on. It's not that you have to get the wording perfect, but is there an element of you that really realizes you are talking to the creator of the universe that can Move mountains. That we're talking to the creator of the universe that, that is an amazing miracle in itself that we're even here, standing, moving hands, feet, mountains. God's moving things. We have the faith that he still moves and he still can move. See, a lot of times when it comes to our prayer life, it's not as effective as it could be. We're not asking when we should. We're asking with the wrong motives. Maybe there's something in our life that's causing a break between God. Maybe there's not faith. Those are all things we need to stop and we need to say, okay, Lord, I really want this type of prayer life with you, that closeness of not just asking, but praising and thanking and confessing. And yes, it takes time, it takes effort, but at the same time, that is really how you grow in your relationship with Christ, that personal time with him. Jesus set the example for us here in the book of Luke. And as you read through the Gospels, as we go through the rest of the Gospels here, you will see these little references to Jesus withdrawing by himself to pray. He saw and realized the importance of it. So, as life was becoming overwhelming for him, he said, I need to spend time with God the Father. If life is feeling a little overwhelming for you right now, I encourage you to do exactly what verse 16 says. Go into the wilderness and pray. What's the wilderness for you? I don't know. Maybe the wilderness is a walk around your house. Maybe it's a walk around the block. Maybe it's in your bedroom by yourself. I know people that their life is really crazy and chaotic. They literally go to a prayer closet. They go into their closet and shut the door. It's the only time they can find quiet. I don't know. Maybe your time of prayer is your 20-minute commute to and from work. Shut the news off, shut the radio off, and prepare yourself for what God has for the day. You can find time, and I don't say that to scold. I say that to encourage. You will be blessed by that time you spend with the Lord. So Jesus, by spending that time with God the Father, he knew without a shadow of a doubt what he was called to do. Look at verse 43. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. No doubt in his mind he knew what God called him to do. One of my favorite little verses in the Bible, it's 2 Timothy 4, 5. 2 Timothy 4, 5 says, very simply put, fulfill your ministry. What a simple calling. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever your ministry is, fulfill it. Now, if you're sitting here today saying, 
well, how can I fulfill my ministry if I don't know what my ministry is? Go back to point one. Go to the wilderness and spend some time in prayer. And ask the Lord, what is my ministry? What have you called me to do? Who am I to reach out to? Who am I to serve? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Fulfill your ministry and the Lord will reveal that to you. So Christ's ministry at this point was preaching. He was going to preach for three years and die on the cross for our sins. So as he was getting ready to preach, he decides to call some disciples. Verse 1 of Luke 5. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now a little bit of background here. What you see here when they're washing their nets in verse 2, that means they're done for the day. That's the last thing the fishermen did. They would pull their nets out of the water, and then they would wash them, get all that salt water off, get that type of water off, the impurities, and then they would then get their nets ready for the next day. So really what they're doing in verse 2 is they're closing up shop for the day. I, I used to have a job where, you know, towards the end of the day, there was all this list of stuff. You went through, you shut everything off, you did it. And I can't imagine that five minutes before I was getting ready to leave if someone come in and say, hey, start it all up again. No, it, it takes a long time to shut all this down. It takes a long time to go through all these bells and whistles. I'm done. I'm washing my nets. I'm going home. So it's not just a simple thing of, well, what's the big deal? Row your boat out, throw the net in the water, and see what Jesus wants. He was asking a lot of them. He was asking them to start their whole day back up again after a long day of fishing where they probably just wanted to go home and be done. So they had to, in faith and obedience, respond. So he says in verse 4, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Now, I love verse 5. Verse 5 is what I call honest obedience. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. He is obedient, but he's also honest. Do you really know what you're doing? Now, I have honest obedience a lot. I am obedient. The Lord says, Go minister to this person. I am obedient. I do it. But I always give him my two cents first. Lord, are you sure about this? We have talked this person before in the past. It didn't go real good. Now, I'll do it, Lord, because you said to do it. But I'm just letting you know we've tried this before in the past and it did not work. Honest obedience. We're all a work in progress. Verse 5, at least he was obedient. Now, it would be wonderful if it was just the second half. Simon answered and said to him, At your word, I will let down the net. Oh, that's great. But Simon is Simon. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, fine, if you ask me to, I'll do it. So what happens when they do it? Verse 6, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats. So they began to sink. This is the catch of all catch. The nets can't even handle it. The boats can't even handle it. You know what this shows me? When you are obedient to God's calling, you're blessed. I mean, it's that simple. Now, when I first got saved, I would hear that all the time, that when you're obedient to God, you're blessed. I thought, blessed. Blessed equals money. I mean, that's what it means. Blessed is money. And I started realizing, and I think it was Pastor Rich that first said this. It really hit me as a young Christian. He said, sometimes you're blessed with just extra peace and joy in your life. Well, that, that's not as fun as money, but it's nice. And so what happens is, sometimes you're blessed with a whole boatload of fish. Amen. If you are at a spot in life where, where from a material side, you're blessed. Hey, use that to further the kingdom, to God be the glory, and, and amen. But... You're not obedient just to get things. We're at this horrible stage right now where we're trying to break the boys, and I don't know exactly where they got it, but anytime they do something good, can I have a piece of candy? Anytime they do something good, can I have a piece of candy? No, just do what's right because it's right. I don't know. Same thing we do spiritually. Lord, I showed love to the unlovable. Can I have a piece of candy? I mean, that's, that's what we do. 
Boatloads of fish are nice, but what's more important is that spiritual blessing of just being close to Christ. Just having that relationship with Him where, amen, I may not have everything I think I need or want in the world, but I really know Jesus well. And there's a blessing that I can go to my father, Abba, and just say, Daddy, I love you. I need your help today. What a blessing that is, that joy. So, Peter's response, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, this is the purpose of a miracle. We talked about miracles last week, casting out demons and, and the sick being healed and the dead being raised. The purpose of the miracle in verse 8 was for Peter to come know who Jesus was more deeply and more closely. That's the purpose. The purpose of the miracle was not for Peter to say, Wow, you filled up two boats. Can you fill up three boats now? Can, can, you, can you make the fish jump out of the water and just land in the boat so we don't even have to use our nets? The purpose of the miracle was not for Jesus just to one-up it and keep doing something more amazing and more spectacular. The purpose of the miracle is for Peter to realize who he is talking to. Those are the purpose of miracles, is to point us towards Christ. So when God does something amazing in your life, don't sit there and say, wow, I wonder how he's going to one-up it. Be thankful you saw something miraculous and just say, Lord, I want to use this to go deeper with you. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I want to make a point with this, this last phrase here, they forsook all and followed him. Because we're introduced now to Simon and Andrew and James and John. These guys are pillars of the New Testament. And this is how they are, they are called. Now, a couple quick things on this before we move to a different reference. I, I'm not trying to be negative when I say this. These guys were just fishermen. And when Jesus started calling his disciples, and we'll get to more next week, because next week he calls Matthew the text collector, and eventually gets a zealot, and he gets all this very eclectic group of people. He, he didn't go to the Sanhedrin and say, I need your best Pharisee, and I need your best Sadducee. He got a bunch of fishermen that... And I'm not necessarily saying this from, from their perspective. From the world's perspective, probably weren't the most intellectual. Probably weren't the most, um, I guess not the cream of the crop that you would think. You know, I heard a teaching one time where the pastor said these were not the, uh, these were not the apostles, they were the b-apostles. You know, this is kind of this subgroup that Jesus could have done a little bit better job of choosing. So he chooses them. But there's this great reference in the book of Acts when they're teaching and people are being healed. They go to the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin just simply say, these are the guys that hung out with Jesus. Isn't that what happens? When you kind of hang out with Christ, amazing things happen. Your life changes. That's the whole definition of being born again. Your life has changed in the sense of Christ has saved you from the pits of hell and sin, and now you're walking with the Lord Jesus himself. God lives inside of you. You're born again and your life is totally different with the Holy Spirit living inside of you and hopefully upon you. These were just fishermen. But what did they do in verse 11? They forsook all and followed him. Well, let's see what they forsook. Can you go to Mark uh, chapter 1, please? Mark 1. This is the point that we've talked about before in the past, so you may have already heard this, but it bears repeating. What did they forsake and follow Jesus with? Mark 1. Mark gives a little bit more detail here to the same exact story. It says in Mark 1, uh, verse 16, it says, As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, when he gone a little farther there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. 
And immediately called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So what did they forsake? According to Luke 5, they forsook and followed Jesus. Well, what did they leave behind? Verse 18, they left their nets. And in verse 20, they left their father. I think this is important. I think these things are symbolic of other things. What does it mean to leave your nets? Well, as a fisherman, their nets were everything. That was their livelihood. That's who they were. Without their nets, they couldn't be fishermen. So to leave your net to follow Jesus means that you are leaving everything in your past life behind and moving forward in Christ. I don't know what your net was. For everybody's net, it was different. But you need to leave that behind and follow Christ. Because if you choose not to leave your net behind, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get entangled in your net again. You've got to leave the nets behind before they entangle you. What was your net? I don't know. Was it drinking? Was it drugs? Was it women? Was it the love of money? What was the thing that drove you? What was your mindset? What was that, that now that you are hopefully following Christ, you need to leave that behind? Here's the problem sometimes I see with Christians, is they come hopefully to the knowledge of salvation of who Jesus is. They're moving forward in their walk with the Lord, but, but they just keep a few things from the past. And they keep a few of their little nets. And you know what happens to those nets? They get tripped up all the time. That's why we need to forsake everything and follow Christ. Because if you hang on to your things in the past, those nets, they will entangle you. Well, maybe you were a pretty good moral person. You didn't have the drugs, the drinking, the women, and all that other type of stuff. Well, look at the next one here. Who did they leave behind in verse 20? They left behind Zebedee. Let me ask you this. Is there somebody you need to leave behind? I'm not saying you leave them behind and you say, away from me, unclean person. I'm never talking to you again. I don't mean that. I've seen Christians do that. They get saved, and they won't even hang around or talk to a non-believer. I don't know how they're going to witness they're just not going to ever be around them. But there comes a time and a place when you get saved where you may need to leave some relationships and some people. You may need to leave them behind because if you don't leave them behind, they're going to keep bringing you down. I've shared this story with you before. I have a good friend, and I remember when he got saved, and it was an amazing thing, and to God be the glory. But he got saved, and as he was walking with the Lord, he moved away. But when he would come back to visit, he'd always get together with those old friends. And every time he got together with those old friends, guess what he started doing? old habits. As he was doing old habits, he resorted back to the old lifestyle. And I remember talking to him when he came up to visit, and I would say, listen, I'm not trying to tell you don't talk to your old friends. I'm not saying don't be around them necessarily, but I said, you can't put yourself in the same positions that you were before, because if you do that, you're going to jump back into the old lifestyle. Sometimes we need to leave Zebedee behind. I don't know what your Zebedee was. I don't know what your Zebedee is now. Maybe you're in a relationship that is not healthy. Maybe you're in a relationship that was not of the Lord. Maybe you need to leave that relationship behind. Maybe you have some quote-unquote friends that you deeply care about to see them come to know Christ, but every time you're around those quote-unquote friends, instead of you impacting them for Jesus, they're impacting you for sin. You may need to limit your time with them. It's not because you don't care. It's not because you don't love. It's not because you're better than them. We know that's not true. It's because by you not leaving them behind... Your walk with Christ is being hindered and being hurt. So when we forsake everything and follow Christ, take a look at yourself. Verse 18, is there a net that you need to leave behind? Is there something that is just hung on to you and grabbed on to you and won't let go as you try to go deeper with Christ? It's time to cut the net and let it go. Is there somebody that, you know what, you, you, you really love them, but when you're around them, your language changes, your stories change, your habits change. Maybe it's time to let that person go a little bit. See, Simon, Andrew, John, James, they forsook everything and followed Christ. They set the example for us today. And you know what? There's always somebody, and I'm not picking, there's always someone that says, but you don't know how hard it is. Oh, we all know how hard it is. We all have an item, a net, a Zebedee, that we're having a hard time leaving behind. We all do. But God help us to forsake everything and follow him. 
Sin is powerful. And sin being powerful is the last thing we're going to talk about today here. Verses 12 through 16 about the leper. It says, and it happened back in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. It happened when he was in a certain city that behold a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he with often, excuse me, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Leprosy. Leprosy is a picture of sin in the Bible. And I'm, I'm going to steal this point. I was reading this the other day, and the pastor just so nicely just explained what leprosy does. So give credit where credit's due there. He said leprosy is three things. First off, it's contagious. Second off, it numbs you physically. And lastly, it destroys you. He says that's exactly what sin does. Boy, isn't that the truth? Just like leprosy, that's exactly what sin does. The first thing, leprosy is contagious. There's a reason why in Bible times when a leper came near, he was supposed to yell, unclean, unclean, to make sure that no one got near him. See, sin's contagious. And so whatever lifestyle you choose to live, you will affect other people with that contagiousness. Either a contagiousness to see them go deeper in Christ or to be contagious to take them farther away from Christ. Now, some of you are out there thinking, well, I don't have that type of influence on people. The Bible uses this term, sphere of influence. Your sphere of influence may be 10,000 people. Your sphere of influence may be one person. I have never met somebody who did not have a sphere of influence of at least one person. Fathers, your sphere of influence, your wife, your kids. Mothers, your sphere of influence, maybe your husband, your kids. Maybe it's your co-workers. Maybe it's your nieces, your nephews. Maybe it's the people you're sitting with at church. I don't know what it is, but you have a sphere of influence and you are contagious to them. If you choose to go downhill in sin, you will infect them. That's a fact. I see it in my own life. The, the habits I struggle with, I shouldn't even use that word habits, I'm watering down. The sins I struggle with, boy, I can see those things trying to jump into my boys. You know, the things that, dare we say, we're good at spiritually, you see that being infectious in a good way towards your kids and other people that you're close to. Just like leprosy is contagious, so is sin. Next one, sin numbs you. What, what leprosy would do is go and kill the nerve ending so you literally could not feel your, your hands. You cannot feel your extremities that had this leprosy. You, you literally could not feel it. Same thing happens with sin. It just totally numbs you. You don't feel anything anymore. I've had people come into my office. I've had dads come into my office and husbands and fathers. And I would look at them, not in a mean way, and I would say, listen, do you realize the choices you are making in life are destroying your kids, destroying your marriage, and destroying your life? Does this not bother you? I don't care. They're numb. They're completely numb to what it's doing in their life. It's my life now. I can do whatever I want. I remember I had a woman tell me one time, I've lived for everybody else for many years. I'm finally going to live for myself. That's just a numbness of stupidity. And what happens is that's exactly what sin does. It's what leprosy does. It numbs you to the effects that you're having on other people and to yourself, which ultimately takes you to the last part of leprosy, where literally body parts could potentially fall off. Sin just destroys you. I mean, just utterly destroys you. Because what has happened is choices and lifestyles that you have chosen come back and just destroy. Now, the problem is, when you're in the middle of that, you don't think it. Contagious. I'm not affecting other people. Yeah, you, yeah, you are. Numb. I'm not the person that's numb. Now, if you're 
Don't think you're numb. You probably are the person that's numb. Destroying? Well, it's my life. It's my choice. My whatever. It's destroying you. So what's the answer to this leprosy that's contagious and numb and destroys? What's the answer to sin that's contagious and numb and destroys? It's very, very simple. Look at the end of verse 12. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand, touched him, and said, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. Do you realize how many rules Jesus broke in verse 13? He touched a leper. That's one thing I love about Jesus. Rules can be bended. They can be broken. You know, I, my wife, and I mean this as a compliment to her, is such a black-white rules person. I mean, she just she just is. And I, I'm a grace guy, you know? And so sometimes it's kind of like a cold front and a warm front when we meet. It's like this tornado that doesn't really get along sometimes. I look at verse 13. Jesus broke the rules. I'm glad he did. He touched a leper. You're a leper. I'm a leper. He touched us. Can you imagine from this leper's perspective... I don't know how long this leper had leprosy, but no one would be allowed to touch him. No one would be allowed near him. If, and we don't know, if this man got leprosy later in life, his wife couldn't come near him, kids couldn't come near him, he would have to live on the outside of town as an outcast. Anytime he came in, he would have to yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. So when was the last time this man had any physical touch by anybody? We don't know until Jesus came down and said, I'm going to touch him. That's exactly what Christ does. He goes right into the mess of your life and my life, and he says, I can make you clean. That's exactly what he does. And so this leprosy that was contagious and numb and destructive is now gone. And just like with you, that sin that's contagious, numb, and destructive is gone by the touch of Jesus. I absolutely love that. And what was he supposed to do? He was supposed to go to the priest then. Now, we've talked about this before, how from an Old Testament perspective, God set up these rules to be shown you were clean of leprosy. It was to go to the priest. But the problem was there was no way to ever be cleaned of leprosy. So when this man shows up to the priest and says, look, I've been cleaned of leprosy, the priest would have to sit there and say, that's not possible. That's not possible. Yeah, it is. How, how could you be cleaned of leprosy? Well, there was this man, Jesus of Nazareth, that came down touched me. I would hope then the priest would then want to go investigate this. And you can see how it's this ripple effect of salvation. People being touched by Jesus again and again. So listen, I don't know where you're at right now. Maybe you don't have a contagious sin. Maybe you're not numb. Maybe it's not destroying you. Amen to that. But I bet you probably know somebody who does. We need to have them meet Jesus. They need to have this moment where I'm willing to be cleansed. And we need to pray for that. If you are that person, though, where you're in that leprosy state right now, do you realize how simple it is? Verse 12, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The simplicity of Jesus. i got to love that. Maybe it goes back to the beginning of the message. Maybe you're a little overwhelmed. Crowds are pushing in on you. You're feeling pressed. You're trying to get away. You're overwhelmed. Well, then you need to do verse 16. Withdraw into the wilderness and spend some time with the Lord. Or maybe you're back to Simon and Andrew and James and John. You've been called to serve the Lord. You know that. Your calling is clear. But there's these nets and people that just keep tearing you down. God is saying it's time to forsake them and move forward. Basically, this lesson is just moving forward in Christ. Not allowing leprosy and nets and people to hold us back. Not allowing time constraints of I'm too busy to hold us back. But keep going deeper in Him. And I tell you, as you go deeper in Him, you'll be blessed. Your boat will be full of fish. It will definitely be a blessing. Marv and Kelly, if you guys come forward here for the final song.